walk down memory lane at the Millennium and Principality Stadium in this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Yes, a special edition to celebrate the 20th birthday of the stadium. Events manager Mark Davis was there from the start. He remembers the opening game. It was a very strange atmosphere. So many people made such a noise and they didn't even have a roof at that point. Groundsman Lee Evans knows there was a rare fascination with watching grass grow. Luckily we had good backing from management. They understood our problems and eventually we found solutions. It wasn't easy. Well, WIU Group Finance Director Steve Phillips is looking ahead. What we're really trying to do here is find and generate additional revenue streams to fund the modern professional game. You know, it's as simple as that, really. Yes, a chance to enjoy some of the moments over the 20 years of what started as the Millennium Stadium, a controversial place when it was built. Some felt it cost too much, left the WIU owing too much money when it was needed to fund the game. One person who was excited at the start and is still working there now is events manager Mark Davis. So what was it like back at the beginning? We really not knowing what it was going to turn into, really, and obviously not planning to be here for 20 years, but I was lucky in that one of the guys working in the office was from Batalbot, where I was from, in the same street, and he'd mentioned they were looking for an office junior, and he'd give me some pointers, put him for the interview. I didn't hear anything for weeks and weeks. They said, have you heard anything? I'm like, no. And he goes, oh, OK, that's strange, and then... He said, I'll speak to them, and then, yeah, I had a letter through. So, yeah, it's my only place I've worked, so... <laughs> um, That's quite something. I mean, right at the beginning, there was an awful lot of negativity around the place, wasn't there? Should the Welsh Rugby Union be doing it? Is it too much money? Did you encounter that as well? I was probably going on my head, to be honest, as a 20-year-old boy from Talbot, now up in the big city. You know, I was there filing, photocopying, the lovely old fax machine, you know, and, and things like that. So I saw that side of it, went over my head, and... It wasn't the social media, was there? So it wasn't really, really as in your face as negativity can be now. So, so then the South Africa game and of course the first World Cup. What were they like to be involved in? Well, I just remember being up on level five on the on the opposite side, on the west side, because it was still a building site. So I was basically up there in high vis and a hard hat, making sure no one went up there. That's still the most amazing anthem I've ever heard. Mind, there was only twenty-seven thousand in there, and it was something really special about that atmosphere. They heard an interview Graham Henry, and he was saying, you know, it sounded like it was 300,000 people in here. And it was, it, was, it was a very strange atmosphere. So many people made such a noise, and they didn't even have a roof at that point. <laughs> and you were sitting over there on your own? There was a few others of us, just, yeah, making sure people didn't wander where they shouldn't have been, basically, yeah, so... And a few months later then for the World Cup, it was very different, wasn't it? There was still still work going on the morning of the, yeah. of the first game, wasn't yeah. it? But come the day, it was at least finished. Yeah, so um, I was just sort of working with Bob Evans, and was stadium manager, working with the guys in the control room, was a bit of a runner, really, that's what I was tending to do. If there was issues, you know, and just helping pick up those things that... As with a lot of the things over 20 years, it's a bit of a blur now, 20 years ago, and you, you don't realise what you're doing at the time and how unique and how exciting it is. I think I grasp that now, and then we have lots of new people. When we end up doing presentations and things like the Grand Slam on the pitch, I say to people, right, take a sec and remember what you're doing, because it's so easy to just not realise what you're doing and let it go over and not stand on the pitch after a Grand Slam. Just take that one moment to remember where you are. There's so many stories that 
seen this memorabilia jogs the memory of oh, yeah, having a black game. You know, some strange little story that comes into your head. So office junior back then, 20 years, the only place you've worked. I suppose the, the answer may be obvious, but what made you never leave? I just sought out opportunities because I just loved it. You know, it was amazing to say you worked here. I was in ticketing for a while and I went, I did a little bit in commercial and a little bit of the money, but I always liked the sort of the stadium operations, the stewarding side and the event side. And then from about 2003, really with the motocross event we had, that's when I really got more just into the games. I just grabbed opportunities really for a sort of lack of structure that you could go, you need someone to do that, I'll do that, and just grab any opportunities as I could and just learn and learn and learn on the job you know it was there's no school course for this you know you just learn you know you've got 20 years of experience of dealing with things and there's still different issues every game of rugby's got a different issue and what's your job title now i'm events and project manager now yeah so i did my first event really in 2003 doing bits and bobs and then i did the 2006 fa cup final which was it's an amazing game, it's the fifth anniversary, it was the Liverpool West Ham, that Gerard goal right at the end. You know, and that's one of my proud to say I was a vet manager for that, you know, but it's gone on, you know, say vet manager for Champions League, for just you know, monster trucks I love as well, just speedway, you know, Six Nations game, they just become normal. I suppose the differences have become normal, haven't they? Because there's such a wide range of things. As a fence manager, is there a common theme to them all, or do they all have a special side to it? They're all completely different. It's just my approach is just I'm just a lad from Batal, but who's just found this, and I just do as chilled out as I can be and just roll with it. You got to roll with it. It does get stressful and annoying, but you can't take out your bottle annoyance up really. My thing is, no point falling out with someone because I might need them to do something for me next week. So it's just managing, keeping a smile on your face. <laughs> Former stadium manager Jerry Toms was in charge of Cardiff Police when the stadium was built. So, what did he make of it all back then? Well, I think the first thing was the aspiration of uh, the scale and size of it, about not just building a sports stadium, but building a venue where you could bring sort of world-class events. And probably at that stage, everybody's a bit sceptical about the concept. Well, it's a small country, you know, could we pull it off? So lots of critics, but in fairness, I mean, they had the courage, the Welsh Rugby Union, they had the foresight to do it, and then the challenge were getting it ready. And they, I think throughout those last few months, there were some hairy moments where people were thinking, we're not going to finish this stadium. But people like Glamour Griffiths, yeah. members of the council, the building people, you know, they just got stuck into it. And that, I think, it's great credit to them because uh, have they pulled it off? Of course they have. Obviously still working on it during the first game and still working the morning of the World Cup kicking off. So from a police point of view, from an external point of view, is that something that, you know, potential problems around that? Um, not particularly. A lot of the work, the finishing work, you're quite right. Like I remember coming on the day of the, uh, the opening ceremony, they were still laying carpet tiles and there were workmen everywhere. So uh, it was a bit of a rush. But a lot of planning had gone into it. Remember, they'd started from scratch and they'd trained 1,400 stewards. And all these stewards came to the stadium, some for the first time. Can you imagine the confusion there where people were trying to find this is a big, but you can get lost here. And there were stewards getting lost, and there were police officers getting lost, and <laughs> spectators getting lost. But we were all in the same sort of boat. And yeah, looking back on it, that was a sort of it was organised chaos, really, wasn't it, for the first game or so? But uh, and then sort of things started to fall into shape. Then you finished with the police and came to to work here. What was it like as a as a place to get involved in? Did that change your perception of it? 
Uh, very much so. I came back originally as a safety officer. That means looking after stewarding and security and safety of people. And then I became the operations manager. But then I thought the, the sort of real exposure for me was becoming the stadium manager when Paul Sargent uh, went to Australia. And then you suddenly realise how complicated this organisation is. And it also makes you realise how professional the staff are right across the board and we sometimes forget we look at the events and we sort of we can quote the big concerts and the big names and the big boxing match the football the right endless but behind the scenes there are a lot of people the operational people this team actually make it work maintenance staff cleaners forget about the cleaners when the events being run here the place is trashed and they've got to start again and get it ready and if you look at that in terms of the olympics 10 games in 14 days turn around every time get it right you've got to get it right every time not just one set of 10 or 80 percent it's got to be every time and our stewards you know all volunteers all people who live and work in south wales they turn up time after time and they're stewards here today that were here 20 years ago and that's great credit to them over the period that you were here what was the most surprising challenge that you faced <laughs> the challenge had to be the pitch it was you can describe it as a nightmare. It was the best technology at the time, you know, but it had its major flaws. We were trying to get a building to do two things, to be a sports venue and to be a centre of excellence in terms of uh, major events. It doesn't quite work. The problem is nobody told the grass that it had to grow when it got in here, and that was the struggle, endless struggle, game after game. And sometimes it was a fine, fine line between actually presenting proper safe surface for people to play major sport. It was a fascination with grass growing, wasn't there? And understandably <laughs> so. But it was the pallet system and then it was it changed all the way through new pitches That's laid right, on top. Turf, yeah, yeah. Every journalist became an expert in turf <laughs> and growing grass as we all did, I think, as we learned our way through it. That's the only way it was trial and error. But I can remember again on one occasion where the pitch was infected with nematodes. Nobody knew what a nematode was before, but they, we do now and it destroyed the roots of the plant. And we had an international game against New Zealand, and we had to make a choice, and we did it. We had to lay the pitch two days before the game. So we had to rip it all up and put a new, brand new pitch in. And I always remember thinking there with Lee Evans, the grounds, and we watching for the first scrum to see what was gonna happen. And they scrummaged, and we were just looking, and no, it, the, the pitch held good. Mind you, it was about a foot thick, the turf, but that <laughs> might, have, might have helped a bit. But no, there were times like that where you, really had to work hard and, and I think probably found the criticism I think we found in the stadium generally the criticism of the stadium was a bit unfounded we, we were in uncharted waters here we were doing our best best we could using the best technology available at that time and okay it sometimes it didn't come up to scratch but you can't have the penny in the bin you know if you want a pristine pitch then fine just play rugby and in terms of the events, what was the most challenging, different type oh. of events you've had here? Because it's been all community events, the big events, the pop concerts. Sue, do you know what? Sometimes the, the smallest events are the most challenging. When it's a full house, the, the building sort of runs. It's got an automated way of running. We know what's going to happen. We know how many seats are going to be occupied. When you get smaller audiences, sometimes they can be difficult. Some of the rugby cup finals, you know, you get some of the teams, they come from all parts of Wales to play, and for them it's a massive day out. But then they don't want to conform to the sort of simple rules of sitting in the right seat, so that does create operational difficulties for everybody. But the staff take it in their stride, and with a bit of sense of humour, you can normally resolve most difficult situations.
listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. As we heard there, one of the big talking points over the years has been the grass, though less so these days. There's been a transformation under head groundsman Lee Evans, who came from Aston Villa and was working at Fulham at the time the stadium opened. So what were his first impressions? I remember they had a groundsman's conference here. I remember coming to that then from when I used to live down in the southeast of England and saying to the boys who were working here then, wow, you've got a challenge on your hands here because it's incredibly dark out there. But wow, what a place to work as well. You know, you just think it's an amphitheatre, one of its kind at the time, 20 years ago when it was built, wasn't it? And they've had all sorts of problems with the grass and talking about the best technology at the time. You can't get away from not having sunlight, can you? No, no. And 20 years ago when, when the stadium was built, they didn't have what we have today. Today we have pitch reinforcement. We have artificial lighting rigs. 20 years ago, that technology wasn't around. So the, the poor guys who were here in the beginning had a thankless job. You know, no question, we, they bought a paradise pitch system, which was used out in America, in Dallas. Great growing environment, Alice, not Cardiff, is it? <laughs> and what the Paladise system allowed the stadium to have was flexibility. They could take it in and take it out. But what quickly became apparent was you couldn't grow grass in here with that system at the time, you know. What they used to do is to grow grass off-site in a turf farm up in Lincolnshire. That turf would be rolled up and a lorry brought into the stadium, laid out, put out into the dark, if you like, Rugby's a winter sport, right? And quickly the grass plants were start to die off. Not only would it die off without sunlight, it couldn't root either. So it was dying from both ways, dying from underneath and dying from on top. Lighting rigs weren't around then. It was a thankless job. So you're then working at Aston Villa, nice open stadium. Yes. <laughs> yeah, nice place yes. to work, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. What made you want to come back here and all those challenges? As a groundsman, you aspire, number one, to work in the Premier League. That's the top echelon, of, uh, in, especially in the UK. And then the, the next stage is to work for your national stadium, much like a, a player, really. It was a player for his national stadium. I wanted to work here. And a little bit of me thought, I'm sure I can make an improvement there. And at Aston Villa, we'd only just had a desert pitch installed, you see, as well. We were one of the first in the UK to have this technology. And I thought, well, I come here armed with that. Like rig technology, I just started to rear its head. So I came here with like a fresh outlook, new ideas from my experiences elsewhere. And it took me a few years to persuade the stadium to go that way. I initially thought we could stitch the pallets, but they weren't deep enough. The pallets were only four or five years old, so we weren't going to bin them that early. We had to live with them. But the stadium, I showed the stadium, lighting rigs, invested in that technology. What that did do was previously we used to re-turf the pitch three or four times a year got that down to once a year so that was an improvement we could keep grass alive out there but still we couldn't get it to root out there with imported turf which eventually led us to where we are now with a permanent reinforced SO pitch. Everybody became an expert in your area of expertise yeah, didn't yeah, they? 100%. Expert in inverted commerce so what was it like everybody coming in saying oh, I'll tell you what what you really need yeah. to do is this? Tough one of the toughest parts of my job and I used to say to people have you, have you got a, a tree in your garden have you ever seen a tree in the park? Yeah, why? Have a look under that tree. Any grass grown under that tree? No. Why is that then? Because grass doesn't grow in the shade. Is it? You need sunlight. Grass needs sunlight to photosynthesize. Without that, I'm really sorry, grass doesn't grow. You know, or artificial sunlight, if you know. Yeah, it's a tough, tough part of the job. You know, when I first started here, 
you'd be afraid to open the paper the next day because there's been headlines written about us. You grow, grow thick skin. Luckily, we had good backing from management. They understood our problems and eventually we found solutions. But it wasn't easy. So now, it seems though you've cracked it, doesn't it? I mean, is there more to be done or is actually that pretty much it? Different challenges. The good thing about bringing in Port de Turf in is you're bringing in 100% grass cover. Now, we're in the middle of renovating our pitch now. We had a concert last week. We'll be putting seed into the ground maybe Friday morning. Five weeks' time, I've got money at AVAC Milan. So it, different pressures. The pressure now is, can I get enough grass cover for that type of event and that type of game? Now, I know I'll have stability. Pitch won't cut up, pitch won't move, pitch will be great. But can I get enough grass in that period of time? So it brings different challenges. Whereas before, I had to keep grass alive. Now, the challenge is, how quickly can you grow grass? So it brings different challenges. So I wouldn't have it any other way, though. <laughs> <laughs> when people get excited about having pinks, bicycles, the Nitro World yeah. Games coming here, the uh, monster trucks the other week, everyone gets excited about what the stadium can do. Are you the one yeah. person going, why don't they just play rugby? <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to it, you know, I came here knowing it was a multi-use stadium. What's quite nice about all those events is when I have my time off. <laughs> so I'm not even here, so it's great. The challenge it gives us is having those events, especially your speedway and your monster jam, is how hard the pitch gets when I get it back. It's like concrete. So we have to spend a few days now punching holes in it to relieve the compaction cause, relieve how hard it is. But we do get it back, it comes back and we start again. But no, I, those events means I have some time off. <laughs> WIU Group Finance Director Steve Phillips took over that role at a time when many still thought the stadium was a problem, not the solution. Bear in mind where we are today, 20 years on, we're celebrating where we are. So I think time over again, I think we need to respect what some of our forefathers did. And it obviously wasn't a problem, was it? Now that's not to say back in when I started, the mood music was, for what the WIU Group was then generating, it was highly leveraged. And you know, that is what it is. But I think you know, it's not the debt in and of itself that's the issue, it's the debt service. So you know, if I recall correctly, you, know, you go back to sort of year end 2006, 2007, 2008, I think our interest cost was something like you know, five, six million pounds. Now I think you know, we're about 700,000. So the key point being then is what you've saved in the interest is then what is allowed us to go back and to reinvest into the game. So time over again, I don't think we'd have done any differently. I think we probably did the right thing on around 2007, 2008, 2009 or whenever we did it to you know, get the debt down because that's given us a very stable playing field now which to kick forward from really. And there is that stable playing field to kick forward from. It's 20 years old, starting to look at the next 20 years and, and the next set of improvements. Yes, I think, you know, we've got, I think, we do run a very strict maintenance regime, I mean, and I mean maintenance, and I think we have invested, you know, in the past level five, a hospitality, which has proven to be a great success, you know, we've put a Desso pitch in, we've invested in our big screens and, you know, concourse screens, and in all fairness, you know, we've got to recognise that the Welsh Government did help us with some of those things, and uh, long may that continue, but I think now it's a case of pushing on Becoming more modern, no modern stager, um, who are not 20-year-old. So I think it's a case of kicking on with what does the modern fan want. So we definitely need to look at the, the tech space, staging Wi-Fi, you know, better TVs, interaction with the fans, that type of thing, which is what today's spectator wants. I think we're very keen on looking at a roofwalk concept, um, and I think that seems to be working. You know, you may or may not have seen this. You know, you can you can do a roof walk in the O2. So you know, we're talking to various operators to see if that works. We've got some ideas about you know what we call a heritage centre. 
you know, it'd be wrong of us not to celebrate our history, probably make that in the modern era, you know, interactive. I'm told, not that I've been there, that South Africa have a really good one, and I think, you know, we'll kick on from there. Our Rattel ambitions have now started, and I'm hoping that we'll learn for planning later or middle of July, presupposing that goes well, we can kick on from there. But I think the key point is what we're really trying to do here is find and generate additional revenue streams to fund the modern professional game. You know, it's as simple as that, really. Well, I suppose, especially the hotel, you've got the blueprint there at Twickenham Avenue. It's a concept that plainly works. It's taking it forward. It started off as a stadium for sport. They had the foresight to have a roof. It's finding the next equivalent to the roof, I suppose, the next mm. development forward. Well, well, absolutely. I think if you sort of dovetail that then with the, you know, with everything that's going on in Central Square, you know, not only will the hotel serve the stadium, it'll also serve Central Square, which comes back to, you know, the idea of being a city centre location. In many ways, it works against us. But I think on balance, it's probably on the positive, certainly from a fan experience, it's, it's, it's very much a positive. Just under three billion for the area over that period of time. I suppose from your point of view, only a small percentage of that goes to the WIU. It's a lot of generation for Cardiff and Wales, less so because of the location for yourself. The answer has got to be yes, but you know, I think everybody goes into that with their eyes open. So yes, when we're you know we're organising events, whether they be Six Nations or music concerts, we are painfully aware that you know we have a responsibility to the wider region so we know that whales are playing somebody here people are going to come into the hotels we all know what the bars are like and then you know depending where they're coming from you know the one hotel stay becomes two becomes three and you know and i think probably the the best example of that was probably the champions league you know so i think the economic impact of that was enormous so we recognize it but we're not mourning about it <laughs> and going back to the hotel when can we expect to see all that side of it finished assuming the planning commission goes well assuming the planning commission goes well i'm told that we're on a 72 week build program so we are targeting but don't hold us to it to be maybe a soft opening very late in 2020 and it won't be for the lack of trying i promise you <laughs> So the spirit that got this built in time for the World Cup is just is moving to other areas, I suppose. Oh, well, exactly. You know what I mean? So the hotel has got front of mind at the moment because it's key that we get it into the planning. Because once you pass the planning, it then becomes a it's a building project as opposed to a planning project. We're quite active in the roof walk space. You know, we need to probably fine-tune it a bit. We probably need a bit more work on the, the heritage centre. And again, you know, one of those points is where you put it because it's the city centre location is great, but of course the flip side of that is we haven't got much room. So you've got to optimise space and, and I think we'll be very keen as well. If you're going to do it, do it well. One of the big events coming next year is the Nitro World Games with Live Nation, one of the big events companies running the event. One of quite a few they've held at the stadium. So what does Live Nation Chief Executive Andy Cummings make of the venue? Amazing when you think size of what we've got here. I mean, you've heard, you know, the athletes talking about the fact that there's a roof here. It's just so huge, and they're going to be able to do things that they can't do in a normal arena. It's amazing. So, do you find when people are starting to look, say, for European venues, that they'll come to you for advice and look for somewhere to go? Uh, yeah, they do. I mean, the thing is, is obviously our experience in in concert world. You know, we've done and still do many of the big shows and the big events all around the world. So, yeah, people are, like Nitro, for instance, when they came to us and said, you know, we're doing it here, was like, it's the perfect venue. I mean, you've put on a lot of events here. What is it about this as a venue for you? I think just the fact that history of it here, the fact that it's in Wales, the fact that it is such an incredible, amazing stadium, it's just... Everything, it just ticks all the boxes. It's right for everything. 
When you're thinking of taking a concert here, does the fact it's a sports stage, it's got that reputation, hosted the major rugby Champions League, yeah. is that a factor as well? The stadium's well known outside of the Oh, yeah, world. you've got to be somewhere that it's a venue that people recognise, familiar with, aware of, easy to get to. I jumped off the train today and I, I, I actually went to get a cab because I'm such a, like a, you know, a, a, an idiot. It's like, oh... I can see the stadium there. It's like two minutes away. I mean, it's incredible. Um, so, yeah, it's such an amazing building. For someone who puts on events around the world, does having something like this help put Wales on that map? Oh, there's no question about that. If you only go and look at the shows that you've had here, Spice Girls, Take That, and look at the, the shows that we put uh, in here over the years, it's an incredible incredible building the fact that you can put the roof up so if the weather isn't that great then over goes the roof and everybody's fine and obviously the passion that the welsh people have for events down here can't ask for more and top rider new zealander levi sherwood spoke to rob cole about his feelings about the stadium and next year's event well we all think uh, rugby's dangerous but this is just incredible yeah, it definitely is. I think um, the difference with Nitro World Games is it's taken a new angle on it all. It's, we're, we're taking action sports, such dangerous sports, and really trying to progress them into being a lot safer. You know, we're trying to grow them and keep them going as well as make them safer for us. You know, mm. cause we've, we've all been for the ringer. We've all had a lot of injuries, and now it's time to really, all right, let's be a bit smarter about this. How can we make this better for everybody? Yeah. It must hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 don't get me wrong. It makes I, it pretty so Like, you grow up quick doing some some of this stuff so how come you didn't have a rugby ball put in your hand like my whole family's motorcycle it was just my dad rode bikes and that's what we did like riding dirt bikes came quite natural in a sense to me so that's i just stuck to what i was good at but riding a bike's one thing being what 90 feet in the air is a little bit different isn't it doing triple back somersaults or whatever it is yeah yeah i, I think it's just stuff progresses you get bored you keep pushing you know, it's, it's all in our own personalities that's kind of what we we chase it's like all right we've done that jump let's do a bigger jump and then yeah. it's, it's really funny like when i talk to people about this they, they talk to me about that and how crazy it is but it's actually just normal for us it's like everyone's got their different normals yeah. you know? so i think what keeps us going is just the passion and the love for it we're very proud of this place what's it going to be like for you as a stage oh it's going to be amazing like literally seen it for the first time this morning and it's dream come true for like an action sports athlete. Like what we're saying with the weather, when you're jumping and you're spending so much time in the air, wind is so crucial. It doesn't take much wind at all. Probably, you know, upwards of 12 kilometres an hour. It really can be a problem. So, for us to come and ride here and not deal with the wind or the rain, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Like it, it's going to be a really enjoyable event for us. And looking at that video, seeing the crowds at some of the other events, can you feel this place? Yeah, I think so. I'm looking forward to feeling the atmosphere when we're in here and it is full. How do you push the boundaries? We know what we can do and what our machines can do. What I really focus on for me is I know, I know what I can do and actually know I can ride a bike and I've done that for so long but I really have a, a passion in engineering and, and like working with my hands outside of riding my bike. And So I really combine that. that that's probably the edge I have it, is, is developing my bike to another level to where it works better than everybody else's. So I know that's what I can bring and that's what I will be bringing, you know. So that's definitely one thing for me that I really focus on and I honestly can't tell you what I would be doing no. in a year from now. i got an idea of what I want to be doing. So this stuff for us is actually quite a long process. We need at least six months minimum to get ready for like new big tricks and, and stuff for us. First of all, what is your best trick? 
and what might it be in a year's time. Can you just describe what it is and what it feels like as you're doing it? My best trick probably currently is a, a double backflip combo or a double flip backflip no-hander. What it will be in a year from now is... I mean, I know what it is up here, but I'm not going to say it. I'm definitely not going to put it into words until I've done it. So when you're coming up the ramp uh, or you're doing that trick, what speed are you going? I couldn't tell you. It's all feel it. I'd say, like, at a really rough guess, we come into these ramps, which you would have seen here quite yeah. slowly. A lot of our momentum is on the takeoff. We want to accelerate, and that, that delivers our bike a lot better in the air. And I think our, our takeoff speed will be about 55 kilometres an hour. What sort of weight is your bike? Mine's 89 kilos soaking wet. Those yeah. bikes you've seen would have been about 115 kilos. you got to make it easier, not harder for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're up in the air, what sort of heights do you get to? About 10 metres. I think the latest ramp I've just we've been developing is about 11 or 12 metres we're getting now, and that's over 75 feet, so I think like 23, 23 and a half metres long. So look back and forward at the Principality Stadium in this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. A special look at the women's game in Wales next week, but until then, goodbye.